Welcome to the Great Lakes Golf Podcast, episode 13, brought to you by Reed Furniture in downtown Petoskey. Whatever your furniture need, it's Reed indeed. Alongside Hunter Pulaski, I am Peter Garber. In today's episode, a lot of local guys to cover in U.S. Open sectional qualifiers. We'll do that right at the top. Then we'll recap the memorial and the U.S. Women's Open. What a weekend it was. Preview the Palmetto Championships at Congaree Golf Club in South Carolina. And touch on the U.S. Open briefly before we close out. Let's go. You're right. I'm only getting top 20s, too. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. There's one, two, three, four, five guys. Uh, there's five guys that are... Minus money to top 20. The rest of the field is plus money. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy. All right. Are we ready? Well, as ready as we're ever going to be. I got a meeting at 1130, so I think we have to be ready. Make sure you talk into the mic today. Especially That mic is not as good. So if you're going to look at me when you speak, you need to reorient yourself right now. Well, the mic doesn't stretch this far. Well, I can you move the computer to the top of the board? I can, yeah. Got a spoon feed it to you, Hunter. Neither I nor anyone listening to this podcast can hear anything you're saying right now. You're not talking into the mic. Oh, very nice. What a good view. We just wasted 10 minutes with a speaker issue of yours, so I don't want to hear anything about spoon fed. Oh my, you're still going to claim that that was on my end? Well, it was, because the second you you tested stuff, it started to work. No, it's not because I tested it that it started working. It just revealed that it had been working that whole time. Okay. Look at us go. Um, Hey, not to continue to make this more difficult, but can you shut those blinds behind you? Did you just turn all the lights off in there or something? (laughs) No, dude, that was... Yeah, see me now? I can see how to show, close them from here. They're right there. The strings. The strings. No, no, no. To the left. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, I thought it was like a turn one. No, no, no. Pull it. Pull one of the two strings. Oh, my gosh. Hunter, have you ever seen blinds before? You had no idea how to do that. I didn't actually. That is amazing. I'm a little frustrated. Well, hey, I'm a little frustrated. It's true what they say. You learn something new every day. And just to be clear, the learning's over. Because we don't know anything about it about Congaree that anybody else doesn't know. So we can... get ready to get ready to the loot the losing train is going right back down to Loserville this week. But who knows? Maybe we'll get lucky. Let's see here. You're looking a little deer in the headlights there. <laughs> Something going wrong? <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't say. No, I wouldn't say something's <laughs> going wrong. I just, this is, I'm going to have the biggest forearm. My right forearm is going to be huge after this episode with how I'm Why, having what you, to. What are you doing right now? I'm having to like stick my arm out because I reached my computer. Um, why do you need to? <sighs> well, I have, a, I have a bunch of okay, notes. okay. You have right. notes, you have notes. Yes, all right. You ready to rock? Ready to I be? thought we already started. <laughs> you ready to rock for a second time? 
reveal this time. All right, Great Lakes Golf Podcast, episode 13, whatever it is, we lost track. Hunters in Petoskey, I'm in Chicago. We're going to talk about what a week, what a weekend in the world of golf. And then we go right into Monday. Everybody's playing in these U.S. Open qualifiers, including including a long list of great players from the state of Michigan. Um, and then, obviously, we're at a brand-new venue this week with the PGA Tour, and Torrey Pines is just one week away, the U.S. Open. Um, it's awesome to get this U.S. Women's, U.S. Men's Open stretch here. And then we got this neat little course stuck in between those two weeks. So um, I have so many thoughts to share on Lexi and Rom. Uh, and I do have some interesting player comments and, and some angles in terms of Congaree and the Palmetto Championships, which, of course, is replacing RBC. But, Hunter, can you start? It's been a busy week in the world of local golf. So can you tell us? I looks like none of our guys, if you will, got through. Um qualifying but i know there were a few that you know played pretty well and were were knocking on the doorstep right uh yeah we um that's dubbed the the longest uh longest day in golf uh yesterday with all um all but two i believe sectional qualifiers taking place uh overall we had 17 total players from michigan uh playing at uh four different sites um, we did have uh, one qualifier from the state of Michigan. Brian Stewart made it out of uh, Springfield, Ohio, after finishing uh, solo fourth. Scores a sixty-six, sixty-nine. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Peter. We can put it in the in the notes. I believe that is Brian's fifth U.S. Open qualifier, all at Springfield. So he has been um, obviously pl- plays well at that golf course. Um, wow, where were we on that one? Horse for the course in the U.S. Open qualifying. Yeah. You know what? He is so steady. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. The guy just, he just, but his worst golf is not bad. You know, like he's, he just seems to kind of shoot in the high 60s all the time, almost no matter where he plays. I mean, it's really impressive. I know he's like outside the top 100 in the FedEx Cup, but guy is consistently one of the best you know uh 150 players on tour oh yeah usually and it was uh you you texted me last night uh worth mentioning that brian studer stewart's caddy uh yesterday was wearing uh like a waiter waiter waitress uh bib rather than a caddy bib so it was like just right around his waist uh it was pretty comical i, I laughed pretty hard when you sent me that I mean, it's just, I got to, I mean, shout out to that guy. Sorry, I don't know his name, but obviously that was, that's a great choice. It yeah. makes, they, I think they need to, he's revolutionizing the caddy bib. Why are we wearing it all the way over our shoulders being hot? Those things aren't comfortable. Have you worn one? Yeah. <laughs> when I, when I used to work at uh, Bayview Country Club, we had to, uh, when I had like two years left, still working there, um, we started to wear caddy bibs um, if you were bag staff. So the, and we had our names in the back of them. So the members knew 
who we were and actually they still wear them to this day so it's been 10 years or so now and how do you feel about the fit um they're actually i mean they're not they're not hot by any, i mean they're pretty yours mad. are like meshy very nice. yeah, very, very meshy um and they're actually nice um from like a keeping clean standpoint i mean i i think those bibs picked up a lot of the a lot of the shit that usually would end up on your clothes so from that standpoint i, I wonder if they were like were they making jokes about that does oh, he yeah. do that every time because i would be like if i was brian and i was like can i have a sip of water yeah, i'd be like can i have a straw yeah they're, they're you know, like i'd be, be like some i'd be trying jokes. to crack jokes all the way around. i'd be like you're gonna wear that on a golf course but i mean it's sensible i loved it the twitter the picture on twitter was hilarious mm-hmm. uh and then uh also in that we'll just continue on with the with the springfield ohio um qualifier the the busiest of the the qualifiers for michigan players uh ryan brem who uh we've, we talk about constantly on this show uh shot rounds of 69 68 and found himself in a three for one playoff uh for the final spot and did not qualify so he is in the second alternate spot uh and then another michigan guy patrick wilkes career who played oh boy um I don't. I believe it was Dayton, but I could be um, totally wrong there. He is the assistant at Michigan, though, so he still has some ties to uh, some ties to the state. Uh, he shot rounds uh, of seventy-one, sixty-seven. That's Patrick Wilkes' career from Ann Arbor, and then uh, continuing on from there, we had and that was just a little bit. That was in the same. That was like one out of the playoffs. Correct. Yeah, he shot uh, minus two on the week and minus three got into that playoff. Mm. So he was uh, obviously right there. Uh, more Michigan guys. Uh, Donnie Trosper from Canton, Michigan, fired a 72-70 for plus two. Uh, Michael Buse from Rochester Hills shot plus four, 77, turned it around with a nice 67 on the second, 18. Uh, looks like Jay Jurek from Caspian, Caspian, Michigan, shot 72-73 for a plus five. Uh, Winton Munch, who I went to high school with, uh, actually, he went to Traverse City Central. He fired rounds of 67, or rather 60, my apologies, 76, turned it around with a 71 on the second 18 for plus seven. Uh, Jake Keen, uh, an Oakland graduate uh, from White Lake, also shot plus seven. Uh, Andrew Walker, the only three-time Mr. Golf in the state of Michigan. Uh, he plays at uh, Michigan State right now, also shot plus seven. And then uh, Tim Pierce, who we had on uh, the podcast uh, a couple weeks ago now, shot plus 14 with rounds of 81, but did turn it around on the second 18 with uh, a round of 73. And I, nice. I believe that is that is it for the <clears throat> for the Springfield um, qualifier. Uh, also, the other one that had the the most Michigan players is going to be the uh, Columbus Ohio one. That one's actually still going. Uh, they had a rain delay yesterday afternoon, but I just want to I just want to read before I get to the Michigan players. I just want to read some of these names that are in this field because it, it yeah, is it is extremely impressive. So this is the incredible. top of the leaderboard. Uh, from from first down to we'll just go to we'll go to T uh, we'll go to 
Yeah, we're gonna go T9 because of the who it is. Uh Ches Reevy, Eric Van Royen, Wyndham Clark, JT Poston, Martin Laird, Rafa Cabrero, Bill, Ryan or Dylan Fratelli, Brandon Steele, Sunku Kang, and Adam Hadwin and Charles Swartzel is in the is the top nine right now. So and that's the leaderboard that's the, these guys are still playing, right? They are uh, they are still playing. So it looks like uh, I take that back. They they finished. They just finished. Uh, so some of the guys that were left out: Keegan Bradley, Jason Duffner, uh, Patrick Harrington, Kyle Stanley after a good week last week, Ricky Fowler, Ben Cook, who is our our first Michigan guy, highest uh, highest finisher. Uh, he played in the PGA a couple weeks ago. He finished at minus four, so nothing to um, nothing Sneezy, disappointed yeah. about. Sixty nine, seventy one. Looked like he was probably he was. He's a beast. Yeah. So, how many did they take there, Hunter? And what did you have to shoot? Uh, you had to shoot uh, a minus six to get into a playoff, I believe. And uh, they took sixteen guys, so it was it was the biggest field by far. Um, <clears throat> Actually, some, a very interesting, interesting how the the USGA um, sets up these these fields and how they determine how many players they, they yeah. take from yeah. from each qualifier. Because um, at first glance, it sure doesn't seem fair, does it? No, it doesn't. No, I mean, and this is um, so. For for example, there was a a qualifier out in Washington that only took four guys, I believe. That guy might have been the California one, but and there was only 45, 50 guys in that field compared to this was 120 players for 16 guys. Uh, and I think it is a lot based off of um, the strength of field, who who is in this field, and determine how many spots. Uh, obviously, uh, I don't know how you can I don't know how you can do that and call it egalitarian. I that, yeah. I and I know that these I, I don't know maybe that's a subject for another episode, but. To me, it's like, so I don't um, know. It just seems like they're trying to get their own guys in there, basically, for lack of a better word. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Uh, it definitely is interesting to 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 see how how it is done, and um, obviously. All right. Some, so then we had a couple other Michigan players like out. Yeah. In, at other sites, right? And yeah. That's, I, I will say, from knowing some guys who have played in these, that a lot of thought and consideration goes into which sectional. You know, like, cause you're, you're registering for a particular site, at least in terms of the, at the beginning. Right. Yeah. So actually to get to the sectional and like guys are picking based on how many guys are let in, what the, what the, you know, who's in the field, who's presumably going to be in the field and obviously how they set up for the golf course. So that's actually another really good point that uh, you make that I think you to actually contradict you a little bit, I um, when Tim and I had that interview, he mentioned that he at that point on that Thursday um, had no idea where his qualifier was yet, and I think they actually they keep it all confidential, and they don't tell you or they don't let you pick to avoid players doing for, this, for players for doing exactly exactly that for the sectional for the sectional. I believe I think you yeah. obviously can pick local, but then I think when when sectional comes, I think. I assume they're, it's they're like gracious with if you're in the Midwest, they're not going to throw you over and watch. It's regionally controlled, exactly. Right. Uh, like that, because you're going to tell us about these Michigan guys that are now playing over in New York and Jupiter. That's because they played local qualifiers in those 
quote unquote regions, right? Had to be. Um, I was going to say, you're going to tell us about Caleb from Muskegon and, and the Sullivan brothers, right? Yeah, correct. I still have a few more guys from, um, from that Columbus uh, oh, okay. qualifier. So uh, obviously, so I told you Ben Cook finished uh, minus four rounds of 69-71. Um, from there, we go down to Andrew Ruthkowski uh, from Muskegon, finished plus six rounds of 77-73. Uh, Tommy Sullivan, who is one of the uh, two Sullivan brothers playing, uh, who played yesterday. Uh, Tommy uh, from Gross Point, his brother Patrick uh, won Mr. Golf in 2018 um, and pl- went to play at Michigan. Uh, he played over at, in the, Patrick played over in the Purchase New York qualifier, uh, did not qualify, and I'll, I'll give you his score here in a second. Uh, but Tommy is an amateur Finished uh, plus 12, rounds of 80, 76. And then um, from there, we have uh, Alex Scott finished. And that's that's where it, it gets a little weird here, Peter. I'm not, I'm not really sure how to dissect this. There were a ton of WDs in this Columbus qualifier. So I'm not sure oh, if it had something yeah. to do with um, weather delay. Weather delay. And, and if you were so far out, they, they said see you later sort of thing. I'm not sure. So, uh, they're not going to kick you out or whatever, but it's, it's certain guys are going to say, all right, you know, yeah, we're not getting through mm-hmm. this is a weather delay. I mean, we don't need to, we don't need to stay basically, exactly. which is, you know, you wouldn't do that on a Friday on a Friday at a tour event or whatever, because you have obligations beyond <clears throat> yourself. But in this case, I would imagine it's probably really common. Yeah. So uh, that was the case for, so, Joseph Kiss from Kalamazoo fired a uh, a seventy nine in the first round. He WD, but then I, I don't know what happened to um, who we've mentioned before, Alex Scott from Traverse City, um, who who's had some luck with Monday qualifying on the Corn Ferry. He fired a seventy one in the first round, then WD the second round. So I would I would have thought, I mean, a seventy one would only have you wouldn't have needed, a, I mean, a super low score on that. You needed a sixty seven on that. Uh, ladder nine so not nothing he may not have he may not have withdrawn at mm-hmm. the turn mm-hmm. so but they don't do whole do they do hole by hole scores i did not uh did not see no imagine score. they're probably updating scores at at the turn so i mean he may have played the front nine of his second 36 and shot 39 and he was like okay i can't shoot mm-hmm. 25 so i'm going home or whatever exactly we yep. should get him on yeah, I, I will. Uh, I'll make an effort to definitely, because I, okay. I think he would be. Uh, I think he'd be great to talk to. Yeah. Um, okay. So does that cover all the all the Michigan guys? And then I should say that Stewart at last check. You know, you had to really watch this week because a lot of these guys who are playing in the U.S. Open qualifier and then get through will subsequently withdraw from their PGA obligations this week. Um, which has happened with a few guys already, but I believe that Stewart is still still in the field. He is. He's he's he is currently in the field. He's plus three thirty five to top twenty. Um, and then Bram is back this week. He's plus nine hundred to top twenty. His odds are probably in the one fifty range or something like that. Um. 
So those guys are going to be down at Congaree. I wanted to make make mention of that. And and uh, Joey Garber, I think, is in action this week. I'm not sure. I should know this, obviously, but where you know where the Corn Ferry Tour is this week? Yeah, I have it. Um, I have it in our our notes down here, kind of right in the um, right in the middle of that Palmetto. They mentioned it because it's that it's in the same uh, right here. The uh, the Corn Ferry. It's that the the BMW Charity Program presented by Cinex Corporation will be hosted in South Carolina the same week as Palmetto Championship. So I'm not sure what course it is, but it's in South Carolina. Man, South Carolina is really getting some run. Yeah, yeah been hanging out. We've been in South Carolina every month for the last three months now. So, um, and before, yeah, before we move on, uh, before we move on too far, uh, I did miss uh, Caleb Johnson um, played in the Jupiter Qualifier um, yesterday. He's from, I believe it's Muskegon, and he shot uh, plus twelve seventy eight seventy eight. So overall, I mean, I think uh, I think if there's one positive to take from from only having one qualifier, we should have a, a pretty strong Michigan Open field coming up here in two weeks. Yeah, it's nice to have as many guys as we did out there in the at the sectional level. So a lot mm-hmm. of good players, that's oh, for yeah, sure, no doubt. All oh. right, should we talk about the weekend that was? Yeah, yeah, crazy weekend. Just absolutely wild. I guess starting with Saturday night, I wasn't watching. So I had to catch up on all this later. Um, we had a friend in town, so we were like out to out to an early dinner with the kids or whatever and <clears throat> no TV or anything. So obviously my phone blew up. I have to say. Regardless of how you and I realize it's it's Tuesday or what it's afternoon, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever this happened, this all happened five days ago, but maybe you think it's old news. But I just have to say that is the worst. I've never seen a professional sports tour handle a situation worse in terms of dealing with one of its players. That was so embarrassing for the tour. How would you have handled differently? Because what are you gonna you not gonna tell them and then let them walk through all the fans and fist bump and high five and give hugs to every fan well, and, and Hunter, player that he sees? That, don't you think that they already did that? I didn't. They said they got the first positive test at four p.m. Don't you have to run a second one? They sent it out to confirm the negative, which they said they got back at 6.05. Confirmed. Why was he not pulled off the golf course at 6.06? Why was he allowed to shake hands with his playing competitors? I guess I didn't see, uh, I didn't see that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's absolutely, I, I, in my opinion, just my opinion, it's just one man's opinion. I was ashamed for the tour. Just ashamed. The broadcast team did not know what the tour was telling John Ron. What did they imagine was going to happen? I mean, I cannot imagine the thought process that led them to believe that their sequence 
their timeline, their way of addressing this was the right thing to do. I cannot find that thought process in my own brain. If you are that worried about the negative test and the threat to the other people on the golf course, whether they're players and caddies or and fans, he probably should have been pulled off at four. If not at four, then he should have been pulled off at 606 or whatever it was. And then beyond that, you're, you're, you're dealing with millions of viewers watching your programming. You're not going to volunteer to them what's taking place by communicating with your broadcast partner. So you're going to leave Nance and Faldo up in the studio to imagine what is taking place before them when they're supposed to be the mouthpiece of the tour. It, it wasn't a great look from that standpoint. Like, absolutely not. It was shameful. Aside from the politics, aside from how you feel about the decision itself, which I don't want to get into, but I, I will say openly that I completely disagree, regardless of their protocols. Those should have been looked at again. This is a developing situation all the time. But apart from that, even if the decision they had made was sound, the way they went about informing the player and then handling that in terms of public, the public and the fans was they could not have done a worse job, period. That was the worst they could have done. And it was terrible to watch. I was glad I didn't have to watch it live because I was heartbroken for John Rahm because it's completely unfair. It's, it seems like they they must have they put together this these guidelines and protocols um, like right before the first tournament back last year, and they're like this this is gonna do it. Well, this will work for until we'll get back to this. Put this in the back burner. We got something for now, some guidelines, and then <laughs> and then this happens. And and I I swear to God, if this show becomes political, we're gonna stop doing it. But the fact that he couldn't play. He couldn't play by himself on on Sunday. Really, kind of kind of bugged me. Um, I'm assuming to 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 be at the tournament, you either had to be you had to be co um, vaccinated or um, like have to wear a way of liability or something. Yeah, and and some like, and that's where I wonder. Like what what could have been done, and it, it does seem like the the process or the the guidelines they were working off of fit a lot better for for the circumstances we were in maybe six months ago to a year ago, rather than wh- where we are today uh, with vaccines and everything. So, because um, we've had, I totally agree. I mean, we've had this. This is not the first player that has been forced to withdraw who's been granted that it's Brandon Grace was not up by six when he was forced to withdraw, but he was in contention. I believe he may have even been leading the tournament. But then those are a totally different set of circumstances than now. Your point is absolutely right. Like we can't update the protocol. We can't look at that. Well, because we made a decision some time ago, we have to stick to it. It just seemed like there were so many common sense alternatives to the solution that they came to that they didn't really consider what was best for the player and for the tour, they got all 
worried about their following their protocols or whatever. So I, I agree. I don't want this show to ever become political. And I really wish that this wasn't a political discussion. And it was just a sports discussion because it does affect all sports and sporting events. And this is something that we have to live with now. And it is something that's going to affect other leagues and has. And I just feel in this case, the tour, I mean, they just botched it. They just botched it bad. I am. Uh, I'm very thankful that it, it was somebody. It was somebody like John Rahm who could never could never play a day of golf again for the rest of his life and be and be totally set. Could you imagine if it was if it was somebody that was what if that was out, outside Kelton? the yeah exactly what if that somebody was a Monday qualifier 175 200 and and he has a six stroke lead going into Jack's place on Sunday then my my heartstrings start getting pulled a little bit harder than than where we are right now with Rom, just because this isn't exactly like this isn't make or break for for John Rom by any means. It's still a really shitty situation uh, for him. And and speaking of John Rom, I think he handled it with with absolute class um, from start to finish with with what he his comments he made um, after the decision on Saturday night. Um, it's just part of, part of life. I just hope that I just hope that privately he's he's being he's fighting for his uh, his rights as a member of the PGA Tour, frankly, because what he said publicly was obviously a touch of class, but he got straight up jobbed. And I know that what, everything that you're saying about him being an elite player and having great victories and is sure to have victories in the future. All that's true, but it can't be overstated what they just took from him. A, not a, just a $1.7 million purse, but a back-to-back title at one of the most difficult venues on tour, a continued upward trend in his career, and the benefits that come with winning on the PGA Tour when you get an official victory, which I know he has others, but they all count. This is a guy who's striving for a Hall of Fame career. How many total victories is he going to have? How is this tournament going to be looked back upon? Oh, I'm sure I'm, I'm, it's I'm inf- sure it's infuriating, when, regardless of the player it affects. When the Hall of Fame committee, if, if, he, if John Rahm is on the fence of the hall of fame and they have to look at this tournament to determine if he gets it. I hope they, they give him a little bit of a little bit of grace. On, on well, how about the all time wins list? What if he gets 19 career victories? You know, I'm just saying that it, it's, you can compartmentalize it and say, that's oh, a great player, whatever. It's, it's still just an absolute crack and totally unfair and just an absolute black eye for the tour. Mm-hmm. Part of me wishes John would, I mean, would have come out and just said, "This is bullshit." What they did was wrong, and I, I, uh, I completely disagree. I respect the tour's decision, but it was the wrong decision, and I will forever stand up for the rights of the members on the PGA Tour, and that's what I'm doing by releasing this comment. But he's. Like I, he's got a lot more to lose than somebody like me who imagines himself in that situation. But it's just, 
be curious to see what they I'm 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 hoping if, if anything comes of this it is some some up some updating to the to the guidelines we're we're currently working off of for the okay. for the PGA. And then quickly before we get to Lexi, which was it was like heartbreak after heartbreaks the first Saturday night, then Sunday. And in some ways I was glad that to be frank, the the the, the tournament on Sunday, the men's tournament wasn't good. It wasn't good. And I hope all of you were watching the women because that had a stink, that tournament over it. And on top of that, the players didn't play well. So the watch, the better golf tournament was on a different network, and it was the women, not the men. So PGA Tour, thank you for doing us that favor. Um, But before I get to Lexi, let me just take – one more shot at what was an awful weekend for the tour and for CBS. You are losing us at this point, CBS. Your golf coverage is so bad, and it gets worse every week. What you did on the back nine on Sunday was pathetic. Patrick Reed was putting for birdie, still in contention on 15, outside of three feet, about a little over three feet, a little right to left or after he hit a nice pitch shot. Instead of watching that golf shot, we saw Patrick Cantlay standing in the fairway on 14 behind his ball, nowhere near ready to hit a shot because he takes forever and should be on the clock every single week. But instead of watching Patrick Reed putt, we watched Patrick Cantlay stand in the fairway, dumb-faced, looking at his caddy in the wind or whatever else he was looking at, and they actually updated the score on the television screen, reflecting that he had indeed made birdie there and gotten one shot closer to the leaders before they even showed him putt. You know what? I was so angry. I'm not even sure they ever did show him putt. But let me just say to you, to the people at CBS, I don't know what your ratings are. Give us an alternate broadcast. The people who care about golf and not your silly little storylines, the people who tune in to watch the best players in the world hit the ball. Not to hear you guys talk about them. Give us a broadcast on CBS Sports. Put Mayo and Feinberg up there. Anybody, I don't care. But show a ton of shots and talk about the gambling implications and the implications for individual players as it pertains to their years, the rest of their seasons. Okay, so is this person going to get have... Uh, move into the top 125 by virtue of this finish? What, like, what is the context surrounding this? Not just Patrick Cantlay hitting an approach on 14. I am so sick of it. The solution is to give the diehards their own broadcast because what you are feeding us over the weekends has gotten to the point where I can follow the tournament better on PGATour.com, watching the shot tracker, Siwoo Kim is 20 minutes ahead of your broadcast. It's unforgivable. 
Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> what a rant. Yeah, wow. Hell, I I think that I think when when the producers of CB, CBS see Patrick Cantley in the last group on Sunday, they quiver. They quiver in their boots because he is so slow that like they're putting these spots where they have that exact situation where Reed is, is putting out and they switch over to Cantley and it's like, okay, well, you're about 35 seconds way too early because Patrick Cantley takes forever. How is he now on the clock every week? I, I don't know. It, and it, it makes it makes that remember that penalty like three weeks ago from John Cantlin or Catlin during the PGA. Yeah. How and then it makes that one so much more strange because you never hear about pace and of play sink, issues. And they were putting Stu on the clock at Heritage when he won because him and his kid. Oh were getting, yeah! Oh yeah! They they're were. taking for at. I, like it it pains me one of the things that i think about when i watch that is i'm like oh i hope there are casual golf fans who are watching this are think that we're not all like the biggest jerks in the world like when you go to petoskey bayview or or boyne or springbrook or whatever nobody plays like that nobody does that he takes forever to play his shots and it just makes golf look bad. Well, we need more Brooks and Rory's see ball, hit ball. Like, come on, guys. And 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 Cantley, he's a phenomenal player. He has his own approach. I have nothing against Patrick Cantley. He's underrated. We were arguing over the weekend. I think that was you about whether or not he's better than Xander, which he is. But he takes too long to play period. Yeah. I well, believe me. I was rooting against him this weekend because I'm pretty sure I almost called in sick for this podcast today. Cause I'm pretty sure I said some, some things about Cantley going into this tournament that I think I, Oh, do you need to take them back? Well, I can, well, that's, well, I can't remember which, if we would have just ran the first recording, like I wanted to, I don't think I would have said the things, but then when the second recording happened, I think I might've said some things. Yeah. About Cantley you know, I regret, that's a damn like, shame because that, all that my regret, good picks were in the first one too. But I regret saying, um, but obviously after, um, I don't want to, I know we've talked a lot about Rom and now we're talking about, about poor CBS coverage and Cantley being too slow, but I don't want to take <laughs> away from the fact that, that Patrick Cantley did just win the Memorial, uh, his second win at the Memorial. No, no, he got second. John Rom won the Memorial. <laughs> when you just said that, I, I thought that my brain played such a big trick on me that Colin Morikawa like won that won that playoff. And I was How like, good is Colin Morikawa? He is very good for not having for not having really didn't seem like much of anything on Sunday. Um, if he could just if he could just get his putting worked out a little bit, and he had a couple bad hit a couple bad chip shots. On top of the tour botching everything, they make him chip in the pouring rain. And then walk over to Patrick and go, oh, I guess it's raining too hard. You don't have to hit. I, I mean, I found that to be, it was just, I was already just predisposed to get angry. I was so triggered by the round thing. But then I saw that and I'm like, that, how's that fair? Yeah, that, you almost, there's, there's no way that you can, you can give, he, they had to have given Colin the opportunity. They had to have. They had to have said something to him. 
Because it was raining that hard. Dude, he backed away. It was raining so hard. He didn't. He looked like he was like, I really don't want to hit this shot. Was the look on his face? Well, that's and then that is the strangest. He, damn thing. he left it way short, didn't he? Yeah, he left it. I mean, he made the putt, so it ended up not meaning yeah. anything. But Thank yeah, God. he, he but. didn't leave it. I mean, he left it. It looked like ten. He had to make a a good putt on on seventeen to to keep it all square. Um, all right, let's. Uh, should we should we move to Lexi? Yeah. yeah Did you watch? Uh, I watched a little bit. Yeah, I caught I caught some highlights last night. I was playing golf on um, on Sunday, and then had some things going on in the afternoon, and because the coverage was kind of when when was the coverage? It was kind of middle middle late afternoon. It seemed like they might have been playing a little earlier on on Sunday than they were the previous day because they were oh San Francisco. So I was expecting it to be on a little bit later than it was, but they weren't that. Uh, and I know the men got delayed and then we're in a playoff, but they were almost on the same, ended up on the same schedule as the men. So it made for tricky viewing. Like I had a friend at my house who had implications, um, bank account implications and really wanted to watch the men. So I had to like go to the other room, but yeah, congrats to uh, Yuka Sasso. She prevailed in a uh, playoff over, I can't remember her first name, but I think it's Hataoke. Uh, first winner from the Philippines and played in the final group with Lexi and the young amateur who had an awesome week. And that was really uh, fun to watch. She's 17 years old. So it's just incredible. The youth movement on the uh, LPGA and these girls come from all kinds of backgrounds and stuff. But then you had that going on with Lexi, who is obviously beloved by American LPGA fans and who, when I turned it on, had a four stroke lead. And I think they were going to the, they were either early in, I think they were early in the back nine maybe like 11, 12, something like that. Sorry, I didn't watch it like super close. So some of this might not be perfectly accurate, but I'm just talking about my own experience watching it. After I turned it on, she never hit a good shot again, except off the tee. She flubbed a chip. She couldn't make anything. And in a weird, repeated way, all her iron shots were short to the point that including in the 18 when she hit it into the bunker she had an awesome third from there almost jarred it to even have a chance to make a par there and get into the playoff was great and then she left that putt short it was i'm so it was a really tough weekend to be a golf fan because i just felt sick for john Rahm to have a six stroke lead and be forced to withdraw just seems like cruel and unusual punishment. And then I was overjoyed when I turned on the women's broadcast and I saw Lexi with that kind of a lead. And I was just like, so giddy to watch it with birdie and be like, this is Lexi Thompson. She's amazing. Look at this swing. I see people on Twitter ripping her swing. You are losers. Get a life. And it just like, it looked like, I mean, it happens to the best of us. Like you don't always weird things happen to you when you are put in under great pressure. And it looked in some ways like she 
lost control kind of of her body. Like she kept looking to her caddy and sort of saying like, why I hit that good. I hit that good. And these balls are like 10, 15 yards short of the green. It was excruciating. And I watched it all the way to the bitter end when that putt on 18 to get into the playoff came up short. And it was just like, this is the golf weekend from hell. Did she look like she was, you made mention she looked like she was, she lost control. Was she, was she staying composed or you kind of tell she was just like slowly just unraveling. I mean, she played the last five, last seven holes, five over. Her body language didn't look, like she wasn't like defeated or like she didn't look like, oh, geez, I can't believe I'm losing this. Like she was just trying to win. It looked like to me and she couldn't like she just couldn't hit the sh- execute the shots, even though she felt that she was making good swings and even good contact. I mean, that shot she hit on 18 was right at it. I mean, it was right at it. If the ball flies like three more yards or whatever, she's got a 15 footer to potentially win the tournament. But that's what I mean is just like, you never know in the sport of golf and the pressure is so great that sometimes those sorts of weird things happen to you and you just can't hit like everything just feels foreign and it just looked like the worst of it hit her at the worst possible time but she is so gracious she's so great to watch obviously um sasso has a phenomenal swing like she the ladies are amazing so that was so fun to watch an olympic club was beautiful it looked kind of like riv kind of like harding park it was gorgeous on tv the elevation changes, the small firm greens. It had all those U.S. Open characteristics, the long rough. It was such a nice precursor to Tory. Gosh, I wish. I mean, congratulations to Sasa. We're all fans, though. I mean, I just wish it would have had a different outcome. Uh, yeah, uh, Olympic Club is like dropped head gorgeous. I from from what I saw on TV and. Um, past events uh i mean it looks absolutely spectacular and then um there's a video last night that i saw circulating of sasso uh getting news that with that win she gets a five-year exemption on the lpga tour and that was pretty sweet i don't think like, she just didn't know that was the like what what exactly came with uh major championship so as a 19 year old um obviously a really cool moment and i mean it's not I think obviously golf's a little bigger in Japan um, for Hideki a month ago or so now with the master, month and a half ago now with the Masters, but uh, for a first time winner uh, for a country that's that's huge and only nineteen, crazy. That's awesome. We got two of those this year with the Hideki first mm-hmm. in Japan and then Sasso. Um, yeah, what a week! And now we transition <laughs> to we need it. We need it. This is a glorified week off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we even? Are we even giving it that title? I mean, what? What are we? <laughs> this well, thing. Just, this okay. thing has the event. I mean, this event has everything. I'll let you set up here, but the cards are stacked against this event. Couldn't be more stacked against this event. 
but I, I'm just staring at, I don't even care. I'm just staring at pictures of Stewart's caddy wearing his little bib. It is the, and he's wearing sketchers. This guy is the man, dude. We need to, we need to get this guy on the podcast. I'm looking at all my screenshots of everything I wanted to talk about. The other thing is that we should be betting Sung Jay because this is all Bermuda grass. But yeah, I will set up that this is normally the RBC Canadian Open, which I like. I like it. the that the course. They, what, what course do they play at up there? They've been they there. Play, for- they played at Glen Abbey. They've played at a couple other good venues. They just moved it to this other course. Um, a lot of there's a lot of good like country club golf up there. I love the RBC Canadian. Plus, there's so many RBC guys on tour, and they're all obligated as part of their sponsorship deals to play in uh, that event. So, like, I think that's why that's why DJ is here. I think that's why Brooks is here. I don't know for sure, but um, maybe he just wants to hang with DJ. It's weaker because this is a one-time replacement, and it is going to be really interesting. Because Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the RBC Heritage. One thing we did forget to mention: Michigan golfers Brian Stewart is in the field. Is looks like Sand Valley. It's for Forest Dunes. Corn Ferry. Like it's very sandy soil out in Vegas. A lot of waste bunkering. It's just like Kiowa and sand areas or whatever. Follow us on Twitter. If you want to keep up through the tournament golf, over the weekend mm-hmm. at Great Lakes Golf. Thanks for listening, um, everyone. You can Talk grab your club in the bunkers. I thought when I first looked at this thing, 71, over 600 yards, this is going to be a bomber's course. But as you pointed out, it's built – it's kind of – would you say it's like this American Lynx – movement type of thing where it's meant to be firm and fast and the fairways are wide and there's no rough so there's just run or if there's rough there's it's minimal so everything runs off into the treble up by the greens and the fairways whatever um so i don't like it looks like a bomber's paradise on paper but the more i'm looking into this and listening to the players it sounds like as long as these thunderstorms that are forecasted aren't severe, which the weather's always tricky, I think every player is in play here in terms of they're not going to be disqualified due to length. Like this is what Kisner said earlier this week. He he's from Aiken, which is like a 90-minute drive from this place. I don't know if he's played here a lot. Lucas Glover is an ambassador for Congaree. He's probably the guy that's played here the most. Uh he's plus 20, 125 to top 20, which is kind of interesting. There's only five guys minus money to top top 20. And you, I don't think you're going to see any top 30 or top 40 odds at all this week because nobody knows what to expect. But anyway, back to Kevin. He said uh expects this setup to be shorter on thursday and friday to get 156 players around and then they'll adjust the length over the weekend so i really think as far as like picking cut makers if you're doing DraftKings lineups or whatever you don't need to favor bombers and that's straight from the player's mouth um and then here's lucas glover saying it's firm and fast the bombers will go over the trouble and some of the shorter straighter guys will be running the ball down the fairway. You can pick how you want to play around here. Uh, maybe the heavy hitters can drive over trouble, but Congaree is not a bomber's paradise. That's Kevin again saying this. Noting the contoured fairways 
tend to funnel balls into trouble spots. His advice, bring your best short game. So I think there's a lot of like mounding and sand around the greens. So that's kind of what the golf course is like. And then you've got a really weak field with really low numbers on the high end of the betting board. So let me just pull this up for you guys and I'll tell you what I'm talking about. Um, DJ kicks it off at seven and a half to one followed it nipping at his heels as Brooks at eight to one. So like numbers you never really see. And then obviously the next best guys in this field, you'll never see it numbers like this really Hatton 11 Fitzpatrick 12 to one Sungjae 16 Fleetwood 25 Norin Poulter 25 to one. Harris English, 28. Lucas Glover, who I said is an ambassador, 33. Varner, 33. This guy was 100 like two weeks ago. So um, Kisner, who I've mentioned a bunch, is uh, is 40 to 1. It looks like the books might be taking a little money on Keith Mitchell. He's down to 40 from 50. So do you have any like – do you have a strong take on this golf course or anything that you're looking at in terms of opportunity on the gambling side? Uh, just a, a little bit. So from the, from the information I've collected with the, um, re- reading a few reviews of the course and some videos, um, I do, I do really like the idea of it's, it is just one cut of grass outside of the, um, outside of the greens across the whole golf course. Uh, so there really, there isn't, it goes right from fairway into, uh, the waste bunkers you were talking about, um, set up to play it's meant to from the video i I saw um look and play a lot like uh like royal melbourne would um being it's meant to be kind of sand belt golf so but as you mentioned there is this rain that's lingering and and you wonder how how that's going to affect um how the course is meant to be played i am leaning heavily towards european tour players uh if this course is designed to be played with the ball on the ground um the obvious the obvious option is to lean towards that side of the pond and i think i think that's what i'm going to do but in all honesty peter this is the palmetto championship and i'm I'm probably not gonna bet this week yeah i have a few i can't <laughs> resist because i i'm a i have a problem but no i'm kidding i don't have a problem but i'm it's so fun and I do think that these kinds of events create opportunity because it's much harder for the casinos to figure out how to price these guys. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the euros and guys who can play it on the ground. Like I was bummed on grace with drew because I loved him here. It's Mm -hmm. a low ball likes to run it super straight with his driver. I think he must've gotten into the open because he's out of the field. Yeah, he did. The guy who I think is similar kind of, in that regard, um, who I like for finishing positions is Rafa Cabrera Bayo. We've seen him really appear to maybe fix his game. Again, he's another guy who went through kind of a, a tough period, and now he seems to be on his way back. He played well at Memorial. He played well at Colonial. Nothing great, but now we're in a much weaker field, and this guy's plus 250 to top 20 on DraftKings, which are the lone finishing positions that I've been able to find. So I think that's a really interesting play. Um, 
he also disqualified for the U.S. Open in Columbus as well. He was in that stacked. Uh, Rafa stacked, did. Yeah, that stacked Columbus qualifier. He's probably going to He's probably going to withdraw. That's what I'm. I'm. It'll be curious to see with that with the Tuesday finish. They just finished this morning that Columbus qualifier. Um, what that what the field will look like by this afternoon for Paul Meadow just with only half of the field yeah. finished yesterday. Um, I saw guys like JT Poston flying down to South Carolina last night because he was T third or third place. So he was in, but guys just that maybe not as close. I'm curious to see how they, they play these next 10, 12 days. Okay. So I'm glad you brought up JT Poston. Mm-hmm. I think on, a, on the other angle for a week like this is it's the week before a major. I know DJ wins like one out of every three RBCs by like seven shots, but and that kind of contradicts what I'm about to say. Who's here that really wants to win? Who's going to play? Who's going to commit themselves to playing this tournament and giving themselves to this tournament and not let next week get into their head or treat this as a week for prep for Tory, which a lot of the really great players will do. Now, granted, this guy's in the field next week. But he's from a similar area of the country. He, I believe he still lives kind of around here. And I think he's, his form is building. And I, all I needed to cinch that was him getting through that qualifier. I love JT Poston this week. If this is really playable for everybody at every length, it's good for short games. And you can kind of like, you know, like Glover said, he would love, like he'd love to play it here with Bubba because Bubba loves to work the ball. You have to have some creativity and some magic around the greens. Well, that's JT Poston. So, and I think as you look at this board, I think he presents great value. I picked it up at 80 to one. And I thought that that, I mean, he's priced the same as Ben Martin. Martin Laird, he's behind guys like Stallings, Wierenski, Johnny Vegas, C.T. Pan. So I think Poston, like if he has some good vibes going from the qualifier, he's playing some better golf, likes this area of the country. He, Even though he qualified, he's still going to this tournament. He obviously cares about this tournament. I don't know if that has anything to do with RBC or not, but he's a guy that I couldn't help. Uh, placing an outright bet on at 80 to one. And then the other guy under 50, I got Patton at 45. Another guy, he lives in St. Simons form is incredible. I mean, the way he played in Texas was remarkable. I think maybe this will have a not totally dissimilar setup in terms of it could be windy. It's very flat. Um, He's a terrific putter and he's obviously in great form. Kisner said this might be kind of hard, and if it is, then this just Patton's probably not the best play. But I just that stood out as a fair number for a guy who's in terrific form, is a PJ Tour winner like JT Poston, and uh, is familiar with the style of golf. This golf course looks apart from the sand, but the one cut of fairway of grass, the wide landing areas being more about angles and short game. Uh, than about driving necessarily. It, it's just like the golf course that 
those guys play in St. Simons it's called Frederica. So minus the sand. So he's in great form. I, I mean, I think that stood out as kind of a, among the fair numbers on the board that like, I won't mind losing at that number. I like Hatton. and I like Fitzpatrick. I like Poulter. I think Poulter is great here and he's uh, trying to rack up Ryder cup points. But I'm not betting Ian Poulter to win a PGA Tour event at 25 to one. <laughs> You'd have to be pretty crazy. So I'd rather just invest in Patton at 45 and JT at 80, and then because I can't help myself, I've got into the long shots too. So if anybody wants to go crazy, uh, I think Will Gordon was 250. This is when I thought this was going to be a little bit more of a bomber setup, but if it does rain, then this could help these guys. Will Gordon, who I love to invest in, he's one of the best drivers on the tour, and I do think he has winning upside. I got in at him on him at 250 within each way. And what else did I get, Hunter? Let's check the old bet slip here. I was hoping you were going to bet uh, if Cameron Young was in the field. After you were talking all about form, 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 and he just qualified for the U.S. Open yesterday or two days ago. I'm assuming. Oh, the guy that's winning on the Corn Ferry? E- Cameron Young? Oh, that was. Who are we? T- yeah, that. Yes. So I, I don't know why he wouldn't be in this field. I, I, I'm trying to think of who. Are you I, talking I, about Cam Davis? I, yeah, I get all your long shots confused. Yeah. I wanted to bet Cam Davis. He's not playing this week. Okay. I wanted to bet Australians. Because I thought the Aussies, this looked like Royal Melbourne to me. Yeah. And none of them were playing. So, except for Aaron Badley. Well, I mean, honestly, I don't he's know. one I could find. Okay. So, anyway, anyway, real quick, let me just get through these because they're, they're ridiculous. But if these hit, remember, it was me who told you. Chris Ventura, another bomber, huge upside. Sometimes, like if he's, if these guys are going to win, I mentioned like Robbie Shelton. These guys, these guys are going to win. This is the event. Okay. They're going to go and say, I'm going to go get my PJ tour victory. They don't give a damn about next week. Chris Ventura, 250 to one. Will Gordon, 250 to one. John Pack, the kid who uh, won all the player of the year awards in college, 150 to one. All these are with each ways. I mentioned the other two. I mentioned JT at 80 and Kazire at 45. I'll put an each way on everybody just in case one of these guys sneaks up there and they can pay for my week. And then on finishing position, I'm going to back JT. I'm probably going to back John pack. I'll look at Poulter. Cause I think he's one of the guys that I feel most confident in. Cause he's motivated to get the Ryder cup points and the course should fit really, really well. Uh, and then I might jump on Glover, right? He's played the most rounds here. And then the other guy I might consider jumping on for finishing position is, uh, well, Rafa, if he plays, but I like Kisner here. He's He's one of the best players in the field. I know the form is terrible, but on on any other year, he'd be the 20 to one guys with the 15 and 20 to one guys, not way back in the 40 to 45. Mm -hmm. So if those odds are consistent in the finishing position market, I might pick up a ticket on him too. 
Yeah, well, awesome uh, short game, phenomenal putter, has played this golf course obviously a few times. He should have a slight advantage, and maybe he can get away with some of the uh, ball striking problems that have been plaguing him this year with his short game here, particularly if the winning score stays down. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know exactly what the time frame is that a, a course typically has once they they realize that they're they're getting a a tour event how much time they have to prepare for that said championship but yeah congregate is only going to have they figured out 3 months ago that the RBC was not going to take place and they and they needed to find an alternative event so you just wonder i mentioned it at the beginning i will watch some of this just cuz i am a, i am a golf nut but like the the odds are stack so far against them with like the fact that it's all the way on the east coast and next week is all the way on the west coast and it's like one time event so we'll, we'll uh <clears throat> we will see i think you made a good point that i mean uh we mentioned it during uh the the dell match play months ago where the desire to win in events like this becomes more prominent than maybe what it would on a in the case of right, Dell match play, yeah. it's a longer event. This this event is uh, going to be overlooked by the U.S. Open next week. So if you can find guys that 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 need that win, that that really are more focused on this week than what they are next week, those are the guys that I think make a ton of sense for a tournament like this that may be a little bit uh, a little bit weaker than than a regular tour event would be. We're just gonna vibe out all week with JT Poston. He's just gonna be. Crushing uncrustables with his funny caddy, and they're gonna shoot, makes tons of birdies, and I'm gonna be here for it. Yeah, no, I'm uh like I said, I will watch and we'll we'll see what happens. Um also this week, uh keep an eye on uh, I believe it's Friday and Saturday, the boys high school for Michigan uh has their state finals. Uh so we have a we have a few local players from the area that are being represented uh downstate. I'll keep an eye out for that. Do you have any interest in the U.S. Open bets that I added this week? Yeah, let's hear them. What do you got? Well, I added Cantlay. I think that was on Thursday or Friday. Okay, well, that was good timing. Yeah, I was glad that I did that because I, even though he got didn't win, he got second. His number has gone down. You have to stop saying that. You absolutely have to stop saying that because once again, I thought that Colin won. I go, he didn't. He didn't win. Um. The other guys that I like that I think are in good form, like Gary Woodland should be a great fit here, right, at Torrey? I don't know if he normally plays here. I never, I didn't see him on any of the past leaderboards, but why would he play bad here? I know he shot it should be shot a good, thousand I know. yesterday, two days ago. Did he make the yeah, weekend? Oh, did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He missed the cut on the number, right? Yeah, he shot three over. He's fine. He's. I'm not worried about the memorial. So... I thought his number might go down, so I grabbed at 66. I don't know if that number's moved. The other guy in that zone that is playing just so good is Shane Lowry. I talk about him every week. He's 60 to 1. I haven't quite gotten there because I have too many other tickets, but um, the ones that I'm kind of like having right now, I got Max Homa at 80. California guy. Great ball striker. Hits it a little bit farther, I think, than people realize. Definitely does. And he just had a good like, week this past week. He's six. 80 to one seems fair. He won at Riv. Mm-hmm. That's not really a comp to Tory, but I feel like he can play well in California. And then a horse for course, long shot, Ryan Palmer, 
200. He plays good there all the time. I mean, how many – I thought – he's 201, by the way. I thought it was – after I got over the emotional reaction of Rom being kicked out of the tournament, I thought, oh, maybe his Tory number will go up. And I pulled it up today. He's down to 8 to 1. Well, like, I mean, that's, that's some serious wishful thinking on your part. He was just leading the Memorial by six shots. How would it go? Well, how would it go? supposed to have COVID. <laughs> how was it going to go up? <laughs> he, he needed to be winning by I 10 mean, shots you know, for it to go. <laughs> I thought there might be like some uncertainty about whether or not he was going to play. I did text my buddies. I was like, this is probably wishful thinking, but does anybody else, has anybody else had this thought? And then I looked at it and I'm like, oh, it went the other way. But like, how do you not like him at Tory? He is playing so good, and he's so good there. And he hits that long, straight cut off the tee. Like, he's going to be – it's crazy. for In a U.S. Open field, he is going to be – there aren't that many, like, really clear favorites coming into weeks like that. Like, all the talk next week is going to surround John Rahm coming off that memorial thing, that nightmare, his history at Torrey. And obviously his incredible form. It's just gonna be rom, 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 rom. The number might even go down from eight. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Unless DJ just runs a train this week and wins by ten. Or Brooks. I, I I'll, I'll I'll leave us with a hot take. I wouldn't if if Brooks was forty to one to win this week, I wouldn't bet Brooks. Like I the, don't think I would either. The idea mm-hmm. of Brooks winning this tournament is so far fetched. It's like everything against what Brooks stands for. <laughs> like I'm, so, I would if he, if he misses the cut. Here? I don't know. I figured it was like DJ, oh. like he he owed DJ a favor or something. I don't know. I don't know what what the reason for him being here. But it is it is very strange. And I mean, it is. It's not on like Brooks to to play in a play in the week leading up to a to a major to get his um to get his game in shape, but. It's just not it's not gonna happen. Plus four hundred to miss the cut. Wow. Okay. Well, you want me to what, put what down it, a five spot for you on that? Yeah. Uh, please do, because I think I said I was gonna take the week off, but take that back. <laughs> that seems, and we're back, baby. That seems way too easy. <laughs> All right. I gotta wait and see if I haven't put any of my tickets in yet, other than my outrights. I gotta wait and see if RCB withdraws. Awesome. All right. All right, man. Hopefully, no more, no more heartbreaks, no more funny business. Let's let's keep it above board here, moving forward. That's my that's my positive energy that I'm putting out there into orbit. Unfortunately, we're doing a golf podcast, so I find that uh, <clears throat> hard to. I believe we're going to be able to keep that uh, no, promise. JT Poston's going to win, and then uh, maybe, but yeah, we're going to get a JT Poston winner at Congaree, and then we're going to get. <laughs> Ryan Palmer at 200 to 1 at the Tory. That'd be something. That would be something. I can't wait to talk about Tory. I've played there like four times. I know it like the back of my hand. Oh, I'm excited. I'd never played there, but I'm excited to hear you uh, give some, some very insightful information that I'm sure will, will lead us to tons of successful bets. Hey, the- that's what I do, Hunter. That <laughs> isn't what I do. Yep. I like it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Yep. See you guys.